This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. podcast about the books you've been meaning to read my name is craig my name is andrew and i put a little extra schwa at the end of my name that time not sure why but Mm -hmm. today i'm have anything anything to do with today's book maybe can we tie it back to the to the podcast Uh, in some way i don't know Okay, we'll find we'll find out as we go. There's a lot of languages in this book. There's a lot mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. people experimenting with learning other people's languages. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'm just speaking like someone from a different part of the world. Sure, sure, sure. sure. Maybe I've traveled there. Mm-hmm. You know like what I think we should do? Gulliver, it, like Gulliver did. Uh, you know, I th- also think we should do is we should eat some babies. Well, I think it would be a good idea to eat some baby. You gotta, you now. Gotta, chunky little baby over there now i take offense at this proposal it <laughs> seems very immodest hmm, all right i'm just just pitching just pitching you i mean it's the only mm. way to solve society's ills is to eat babies i'm not sure you're being entirely on the level good sir so this is our book podcast where every week one of us reads a book that we've never read before we tell the other person about it uh, Craig, you what's you what are you 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 read? What did you read? Who buy? I read Travels into Several Remote Nations of the World in Four Parts by Lemuel Gulliver, first a surgeon and then a captain of several ships, aka Gulliver's Travels by Jonathan Swift. Nice, nice, nice. So Jonathan Swift, born in 1667, died 1745. He's an Anglo-Irish author, uh, essayist, best known for his satires. You might know him. From like, I don't know, like junior high English class as the guy who wrote A Modest Proposal, which is the essay about eating babies, which is why we were making jokes about eating babies. I don't actually want to eat Craig's baby. I don't think that if Craig needed money, he should sell his baby to rich people so they can eat it. Yeah, he's (laughs) I feel like what's funny about A Modest Proposal now in that context that you just named is that it does Mm. feel like someone sat down to write an essay that high school kids might be interested in reading. Like, uh-huh. it's a great, it's not very long. Mm-hmm. It has a real good hook. Yeah, the baby eating thing. And so you can uh, you can make an assignment around it that you know, like, nobody, you don't have to go read the spark notes for the baby eating <laughs> essay. Like, the kids will I mean, get the you, reading done. You can, Yes, that's true. There, But there is, there is some stuff in there, like, there's the criticism of the, of the rich. Uh, there's a lot of um, there's some like fun rhetorical stuff in there where in where Jonathan Swift lays out a bunch of like actual uh, proposals that might solve some problems with society. And he's like, well, we aren't even going to consider this and this and this and this and this he's because gonna we're going to eat some babies and it's yes. going to fix everything. <laughs> 
Um, other works of his include, you know, this Gulliver is, is a big one. Uh, there's one called An Argument Against Abolishing Christianity. There's one called A Tale of a Tub, also satires. I did not, I'm not enough of a student of like early 18th century history to tell you exactly what either of those things are satirizing, (laughs) but I'm told they're satires. Sure. Uh, Funniest thing from Jonathan Swift's early life that I learned, and this is, this is very funny is that his dad died from syphilis, which he claimed to have gotten from quote unquote dirty sheets when he was out of town. No, uh, uh, No. Yeah, baby. Oh, those were dirty sheets. I don't know, man. I don't know where I got this stuff. Went to a weird oh. rest stop. I don't know, man. Yep, and I'm gonna die now, but just put it put in the newspaper that it was dirty sheets from out of town. Be better, <laughs> Papa Swift. Yeah. Uh the, um, the f- first thing, so I read the Penguin, uh the Penguin Classics edition, which has an intro and text notes and whatever from the editor Robert DeMaria Jr. I'm gonna bring up a bunch of stuff that he said throughout the podcast i think um mm-hmm. from his little note about the author um he was educated at kilkenny grammar school and trinity college dublin where he was censored for offenses against discipline and had to obtain his degree by quote special grace <laughs> okay he just made the dean mad like in one of those old college like hijinks yes. movies uh-huh. <laughs> um he, I have that he was a he was a supporter of the glorious revolution. You know about this revolution? That is that. Um, you heard about the, this one? The, is that the completely like peaceful one with William of Orange? Right? My, I don't know. I don't know about William of Orange. Um, I know it's a 1689 English coup that deposed James the second and the seventh, and and eventually led to the estab- the establishment or at least the affirmation of the power of Parliament over the royals. And thus, like some form of representative democracy, though it's the late 1600s. Put a big asterisk next to that. But <laughs> sure, if you've ever if you've ever wondered when exactly did the British royal stop being in charge of like anything, it's it can it goes back to this. Oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, that was that was Mary the Second and uh, her husband William the Third of Orange, de facto okay. ruler of the Dutch Republic. That's a cool name, yeah. William of Orange. Yeah, mm-hmm. man, mm-hmm. he's a cool guy. Sounds uh, like he could run a run an orchard in Florida or something. Mm. But yes, he was a, he was an ardent pacifist, um, and there's a lot of like critique of European warmongering in mm-hmm. here in this mm-hmm. book that I read. Yeah, um, he's a written, like a, so. Gulliver, I think, has a lot of satire of like the Whig government. W H I G. Remember, America had Whigs too for a while, and then we yeah. stopped. Yeah. Um he was a I get he was kind of a like a wig in the streets Tory in the sheets. That's why I saw that. Yes. Was like, he was <laughs> he was big into the Church of England and like and religion and religious religion's place in society was but was like a little more uh like liberal and populist when it came to other stuff. Yeah. Um, Whigs and Tories, like neither really maps to a modern ideology, even though the Tories are still around. So like take that with a grain of salt, but that's what I, that's what I read. Yes. Yes. You got to satirize him. He was a, he was a priest in, I guess what was it technically the church of Ireland? Like he, Mm -hmm. he was a clergyman, Mm -hmm. um, but he lived a lot, you know, much of his life in London and was very involved in, in British 
politics. Yeah, because uh, he yeah he was in London for a long time, and then Queen Anne didn't like him, so he went to Ireland. <laughs> yeah. And that's after that after that happened <laughs> is when he started writing a lot of these works that he's best known for, including uh, Baby Eating. Yeah. Uh, Robinson Crusoe, that kind of thing. He didn't write Robinson Crusoe. Not Robinson Crusoe. Gulliver's Travels. Yes. He's satirizing Robinson Crusoe, yes. which is my yes. next my next thing. Oh, okay, great. Um, <laughs> so this is a four part satirical send up of like the travelogue or travel yep. novel genre. Yep. Uh, so Robinson Crusoe came out seven years nineteen. Prior? Yeah. Yeah. So seventeen nineteen. Uh, we covered that a long time ago. Yeah, we um, did. And the yeah, like part part of the satire of it is um swift like so robinson crusoe is about like a cool dude who shows up by himself and sort of tames a small corner of the world yes yes Yes, correct and gulliver like somewhat pointedly only really stumbles upon established societies swift wanted to push back against this idea that like the rugged individual man came first and then society was like built on top of that yep instead of being the other way around Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah all Um, of the places he goes like and he will talk about each of them like he is either he is at best a guest at any of them like he is yeah never well yeah we'll talk about what he does in lilliputia but uh (laughs) he is never in charge he is never like people are interested to hear about europe but Uh none of these places seem to have ever heard of it before sure and so the idea that he's going to come here and bring let alone like his like christian values or anything like that with him too it's like come on like back off (laughs) like you don't know what you're talking about (laughs) and i I think a lot of the like a lot of the maps there's like there are some uh what are called plates in this edition of the book like map sketches and things of where some of these lands are it's all very fuzzy and kind of yeah it's off this coast in north america and like Mm -hmm. it doesn't really make sense where some of the islands are and -hmm. i think that too is a little bit of like these travel logs are wholly unreliable you know if robinson crusoe like recognized as a work of fiction but there are plenty of them that were not supposed to be works of fiction and so, like, can you really trust what anybody's saying? They just went on a boat and then they came back mm-hmm. with a book. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't know what they did. Um, so he was, um, Swift was, he began writing this in earnest in, like, 1720 and was finished in 1725. Um, he So because the book had a lot of, like, Whig satire in it, which yeah. is why I brought up that Whig and Tory yep, stuff yep. without really know, knowing, like, a ton, like, a wicked lot about Whigs. <laughs> a yeah, wicked lot century. about the Whigs. <laughs> um, he had somebody copy the manuscript so its handwriting couldn't be traced back to him. Swift did. Yep. Um, because people were being prosecuted for, like, libel and stuff. Um, when they criticized the government in these kind of broad satirical terms. And so he didn't, he didn't want that to uh, catch up with him. His publisher at the time, this guy named Benjamin Mott Uh made some cuts and additions to uh, reduce the chance that he would be prosecuted for publishing it. Um, So it was originally published anonymously. You'd mentioned that the edition that you had has some notes about, about like the provenance of certain sections. So we can talk about that when we get to it, I guess. 
Um, but yeah, it was originally published ano- published anonymously. Because of that, a bunch of also anonymous people wrote a bunch of like follow ups and sequels that oh <laughs> that great don't really okay survived to the present day. It's kind of like that unlicensed Don Quixote sequel that we talked about when I we mean, read that one. That just sounds like what would happen back then. Like you, can't... yeah, just like <laughs> they didn't have Ao3 yet, so people had to had to publish their own really Gulliver's easy Travel to sequels. flood the zone with your own Gulliver. You know. Um, so the the canonical edition that we have now was mostly this one published a little later by this guy George Faulkner, which was sort of overseen by Swift. And even though the original like manuscript didn't survive anymore, it had been destroyed, like Swift went through and undid many of the edits that that Mott had made. And he also wrote a letter in character as Gulliver complaining about how much the publisher of the book had changed it. <laughs> I believe that <laughs> is part of the edition I read. So the edition yeah, that mm-hmm. I read for Penguin, um, Demary is like, hey, yeah, Benjamin sent sent it to this guy, Andrew Took, to rewrite a bunch of stuff. Then Swift and his buddy Charles Ford showed up, and they were like, we have a bunch of changes to make. You got to set it back right. And then the Faulkner thing happens in 1735. Mm-hmm. And then for the early 20th century, we have like scholars – you know, trying to decide which version to use. And most people are going with the Faulkner. And so the uh-huh. quote from this edition, in the spirit of, quote, editorial thinking that is more pluralistic, un- end quote, the Penguin edition uses the 1726 version with Swift and Ford's edits intermingled, as well as some other stuff from manuscripts that appeared to derive from Swift's intentions. So, so I, why make a, I think why make I read a good version. Choice? Yeah, why make an editorial <laughs> choice when you just throw it all in there? Why, yeah. take, a, why take a stand? On the one hand, you have this guy who made a bunch of edits all by himself <laughs> without asking. And on the other hand, you have the author of the book who rewrote those parts the way that he wanted it. But who's to say who's who's right? You so, know? Yeah, and there's a bunch. I I didn't take extensive notes on like what this edition flagged. There's a couple spots where I was able to like click on a footnote and be like, oh, this there were two paragraphs here in a different sure. version, or these two paragraphs weren't here in one version. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. This was my experience with Gulliver's Travels is in the same class where I read A Modest Proposal, we read the fourth part of Gulliver's Travels. Oh, the fourth part. Ooh, that's, um, that's deviant, because normally everybody reads the first part. <laughs> so the, I remembered that one, sort of, uh, and the rest of it was purely me like confronting what had or had not come through cultural osmosis. Sure. So sure, sure, sure. I, I have no, like, you know... I had no preferences for what I was right. reading. Well, and, and and obviously there's like a there's a historical to have the book preserved as people would have first encountered it and as it, it first like became popular. Yeah. Totally valid, totally interesting, totally important. I yeah. just think if you're like if you're trying to pick one to publish in your edition. <laughs> I mean I mean that's probably why they did they were like, well, we yeah, can probably. sell the one that has that's like claims to be the original, but we snuck all the edits in anyway. But we're saying mm-hmm. it's based on the original one. I'm um, just put so. a pin in. So you know our our Super Smash Brothers style fighting game with only public domain characters in it. Yeah, keep, for sure. We, I think Gulliver needs to get in there somehow, right? There are you get Gulliver up in there. Um, yeah, probably <laughs> actually. Well, yeah. 
Yeah, I feel like he would have a lot. He'd be like Pokemon trainer, actually. <laughs> look, look, put a pin in this. This is okay. a good idea. <laughs> well, it's just so if any lawyers are listening, this is the whatever we come up with with Gulliver is totally legally distinct from the character Pokemon trainer from Super Smash Bros. <laughs> I thought you were going to say can't... it's legally distinct from Gulliver. <laughs> no, 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 no. Not legally distinct from Gulliver. Gulliver is in the public domain. Anybody can have him. I'm okay. just saying that he's not inspired by Pokemon trainer and any like some similarities are just coincidental. I think our level that would be similar, but legally distinct from final destination could just be called the public domain. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be pretty good actually. Or let's take a quick break and then I'll tell you about what happens in this. I wish either of us knew how to do any code. (laughs) (laughs) TM, 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 TM. All right. This episode of Overdue is brought to you by BetterHelp. Andrew, in a given week, give me the spread. How much time is spent on you, and how much time do you spend on the needs of others? I mean, I listen. I don't. I don't keep an exact like ledger, but I'm willing to bet that I could pay more attention to my own mental health and well-being. I just. I bet, I bet I if would... I. I bet I could. On balance, like, I just wonder how you even do the balance, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it's pretty easy to do one more than the other and, you know, you get caught up in what's going on. You don't even have time to check the ledger, right? Well, and what what about stuff that benefits me and other people? Like, I make cookies for other people, but then I eat one for myself. Well, that Hmm. seems like something you need to talk through with a professional. (laughs) Yeah, Um, that's true. (laughs) Giving, 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 and not really checking in on on what you need or vice versa can leave you stretched thin and and I think that therapy can give you the tools to strike a better balance really help you check the books on that one um, therapy is a great tool to talk through uh, your own needs the needs of people around you in your life professionally and personally uh, and you can just talk through that in dedicated time set aside rather than when you're actually wrapped up in what you're doing on a daily basis um, if you're thinking of starting therapy Give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and on your schedule. Find more balance with BetterHelp. You visit BetterHelp.com slash overdue today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash overdue. Craig, whether you've been on a bunch of travels yourself and need to tell other people about them, or you just have read a book that really rubs you the wrong way and you need to burn it to the ground, a great way to do either of those things is with a website. Oh, sure. (laughs) Uh, And that's why we want to tell you about Squarespace. Squarespace is a website that helps you make websites. They have beautiful templates, drag and drop tools, 24-7 customer support, in case you ever break anything, but you won't break anything because there's no need to touch any code ever. How's that oh, sound? I don't want to touch the code. I don't. You don't touch the code. You get it on your. It's like jelly. You get it on your hands. You can't wipe. You can't get it off. Nope. It's bad. Ugh, no. All these. All these cascading style sheets are all over my pants. <laughs> Uh, so here's some stuff we like about Squarespace. Email campaigns. You can stand out in any inbox, any inbox. Whoa. With Squarespace email campaigns. Collect email subscribers and convert them into loyal customers. Start with an email template and customize it by applying your brand ingredients like site colors and logo. Built-in analytics measure the impact of every send. There's also a video studio, Craig, a video studio. Oh, my God. You want to pivot, pivot to video? Well, <laughs> 
listen to this, bub. You can create pro-level videos effortlessly with the Squarespace Video Studio app. Helps you make and share engaging videos to tell your story, grow your audience, and drive sales. You can gain powerful insights into who's visiting your site and how they're interacting with your content with in-depth website analytics, including page views, traffic sources, time on site, and more. And you own all the content you put on the Squarespace platform. They offer one-click data portability in case you need to get in your boat and sail to another island. So if any of this sounds good to you, you head to squarespace.com for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace.com slash overdue. Save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Okay, time for another book where we set sail and encounter things on the high seas. So what's the... It's Gulliver writing this book right yes. like it's a so that's the form that it takes i'm just curious about whatever the frame is and how often we zoom out of whatever's happening to go back to the frame just like tell me how the sure. tell me about the nuts and bolts yeah so it is broken up into four parts there's like a little prologue thing which we sort of referenced already it is a letter to the editor of a previous edition of the book mm-hmm. um a letter from uh oh no, it's an advertisement uh, and then a letter from Captain Gulliver to his cousin Simpson, um, and then the publisher to the reader. Um, mm. All of this is like in universe, like creating a sense of. It's not actually creating a sense of verisimilitude, right? In the same way that a lot of epistolary novels are like, from the diary of the guy who met Dracula, you'll find out right. what a Dracula is. <laughs> um, but this is like, no, really, Mr. Lemuel Gulliver is a real guy, and he, he went on these adventures, and Lemuel Gulliver is like, these are my adventures. It's totally not made up like all the other ones that you've read you've be- and you've believed, you sucker. Like, um, that's kind of the vibe there. And then at the end, the very, very end, there's like a similar like, and here's kind of what I did with my tail. But there's no other like bumping out to the frame within the book. It's it's linear over the course of, I think, I think it's like 15 years or something. He spends long stretches of time in some of these places uh, and each time he comes home to his wife and poor family, uh, and sometimes he has an additional kid and then leaves again. Uh, like he fathers a ch- child yeah. and then takes off? Okay, yeah. great. Um, he's a surgeon, trained trained as a physician. I mean, obviously. He knows how to, he knows how to get in and out, doesn't he? <laughs> and he, you know, his... his Similar to one of the surgeons from Master Commander, he's like, okay, well, I get the charge to go be on a boat, and I'll get some money, and then I'll bring it home to my family. Um, Mm -hmm. There is a reference in that early section where he's like, yeah, these are my true tales. Please don't censor me based on some yahoos who are in charge, and then that word becomes very important later. You think he's maybe just using like a funny word. Um, Just favorite search engine. Yeah. Um, and he's like, there are some other edits that have been made against my will. We're going to correct those. Yes, I am totally a real man. And yes, I definitely <laughs> did this. Um, all the other travel logs out there are falsehoods. Um, you know, and, yeah, Lemmy, Lemmy Koopa. 
Oh yeah. Do you think? Do you think Lemuel is? Do you, that's what Lemmy Lemmy is short for is Lemuel. I'm just realizing this now. Yeah, Lemuel Motorhead. That's Lemuel Lemuel Koopa. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's got to be what it's short for, right? <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. can't mm-hmm. be anything. Okay, else. sorry. Yes, and and much like much like Gulliver, Koopa has just gone around and had all these kids <laughs> every time. Every time he pulls into a new ken- kingdom, and then he leaves, and he won't even acknowledge him anymore after that. So, so there are. It just makes you think. The four parts. <laughs> Here's here's how I have uh, summarized them. Okay, yes. Part number one, what if everyone were small? Part number two, what if everyone were big? Okay, ooh, interesting. Part number three, what if there was a floating island and also some magicians and also a bunch of wacky scientists and also Japan? Uh, okay, part that four, one's a little, feels a little less clear to me but sure part four what if horses and dudes switched places in civilization that could be rad or bad depending on yeah like if it's just like bojack horseman and it's just like horse people but they're like living mostly just like depressed normal human lives no they're like a whole different yeah or if you go to like the target and everything has been redesigned for horses (laughs) it's more like that actually okay they, right. If they had their own horse target, um, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's it's they do have kind of a sequence to them in terms of Gulliver. Each time he winds up on one of these islands, it's for a progressively, uh, like maybe not more violent, but so like the first time it's a shipwreck, just straight up mm-hmm. like boats get messed up. He you know he gets separated from the rest of the people on the boat and he winds up on a beach. Uh, the second part, the boat starts running out of water, and he goes on land with the crew that's supposed to find some, you know, a river or something. And he goes, he like wanders away or something, and they leave without him. Mm-hmm. The third one, pirates, uh, okay. and then they capture him and like take him, and then they just like maroon him on an island. And then the fourth one, he is actually the captain of the ship, which okay. I don't know, man. <laughs> Over the course of several years, shipwreck, left behind, pirates. I don't know if we're giving you a boat, but they give him a boat. Just, it just keeps failing upward into middle <laughs> well, management, like so many, like so many people. Good do. old Lemuel. Um, mm-hmm. And he, there's a mutiny that happens, uh, and he gets left on another, you know, deserted on another island. Um, so yeah, like, I was gonna say, like, from what I know about this, it just doesn't seem like Gulliver has an amazing time on any of his travels. Like, it always kind of seems like he's uh, being put upon in some way. He, um, sort yes, and at the end, Ooh, thank he, you for yes ending me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he has a good-ish time on the fourth island. Mm-hmm. But he but he winds up having to leave, and it's the saddest thing he's ever experienced. Oh. It's probably worse than any of the other islands. Oh, no. So, yeah, it's like the, the his arc in the book, which I guess I didn't remember. You know, I didn't, I, I as I said, I had only read the fourth part before, which is a, a bold choice. Um, <laughs> and so I, I knew where we were going. I knew mm-hmm. that we were going to a place where Gulliver just literally is like so uh, disabused of any notion that mankind is like worth being in charge. Like he's uh-huh. like kind of 
would love to be able to turn his back, turn in his like human card and like get out, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it starts with him being a guy who's like, yeah, we've got a pretty good in Europe, and we're gonna go out in the world and see what we can see, and maybe spread the good word about how you know, yeah, I've Europe has some problems, but like <laughs> we're gonna go some other places that are probably worse. Sure. Um. So yeah, f- my only real exposure to this had been to to part one because I think that that is the one that gets told and retold the most. Like I read it described as like the most frequently uh, battlerized mm-hmm. uh, part of the part yeah. of the book um, because it's just like this big guy goes and he hits this island and there are a bunch of small people there yep. and it just gets turned into a kid story a lot of the time. And so the version of this story that I'm familiar with is the, I think it is the 1939 animated film. Oh my God. Yeah. It was released by Fleischer studios, uh, who, which is the, the the creative outfit responsible for Betty Boop Popeye. Oh, those early, like serious Superman cartoons. You ever ever watch? Yeah, sure. The, the, uh, faster than a locomotive, whatever. Okay. So that's, that's Max and Dave Fleischer. These guys are just competing with, uh, Walt Disney in the early years of American animation. So they make this, they make this movie and it kind of, it succeeds, but it also kind of ruins them. It's so it's, it's been commissioned by Paramount in response to the success of Snow White, which is Disney's first huh. like animated motion picture. Um, so it is the second ever American animated feature film. Um, <laughs> it's just the first of the books, four parts. Um, so it was a big financial success, but, um, it helps to like cause a creative rift between the two brothers who are running the studio. Um, even though it made a bunch of money, it incurred the studio a financial penalty because it went over budget, even though it was paramount, like trying to compete with Disney that like made them like work so fast and hire so many people and go over budget in the first place. <laughs> and so Paramount, this is just the Wikipedia rabbit hole. I found yeah, yeah, no. I was researching this old movie that I didn't even remember <laughs> that I remembered. Um, Paramount commissioned a, a follow-up animated film called Mr. Bug Goes to Town. Yes. <laughs> Want to watch. <laughs> and it was a huge flop, partly because uh, like, a, a, like a week or something after previews started, uh, Pearl Harbor happens. Oh, no. And the U.S. The US enters World War II. And yeah, just like the the financial burden of all this stuff happening just makes the studio collapse. And oh my that's the god! Story of Fleischer Studios. Do like Max re- Fleischer would die, an angry sick man who was just trying to get the rights to Betty Boop back. It's kind <laughs> of a bummer, actually. Do, so, do you have a sense of like how, like what they did with the story? Is that worth going into? Is it just that they the, took some big liberties? Only- I mean, the only visual from it that I remember is like Gulliver, like tied down by ropes yep. by these little guys. Very vivid. And he yep. has to like, he has to like kind of pull his way out. But like, I just, I feel like I remember Gulliver mostly just kind of being there as a, he's huge, but he's also kind of an observer of events rather than a driver of them. Is that? Yeah. Yes. So like the, the thing, it is interesting to think about this as a novel because mm-hmm. like, it's very early relative to what we consider novels. So uh-huh. like there's a lot of him, there's long passages of him just saying 
what he and another person talked about because most of the novel is him learning about another culture or another mm-hmm. culture learning about his. There's not mm-hmm. a lot of action. There's mm-hmm. not the the character growth that does happen is not traditional what we understand it today because it is kind of rooted in the satire that Swift is is working with here. I mean, it sounds like he doesn't need to grow. He's already pretty big. On relative to the Lilliputians, you're right. He's yeah. pretty mm-hmm. big, but relative mm-hmm. to the folks of uh, Brobdignag, um, he's pretty small. <laughs> okay. okay, that's the second island. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's I had I knew about the Lilliputians. I think I'd heard tell about the one where everyone was big. I had no idea about the third <laughs> island part. Full, island full of Tom Hanks's. Yeah, <laughs> I had no idea about the floating island with a bunch of other stuff, which. From the intro by Demaria kind of talks about it being rooted in some very, some much more specific political and societal critiques that like, you can find the Whig and Tory stuff in the Lilliput chapter, you can find such and such in the other chapters, but like that third one is really rooted in some specific early 18th century, like British and Irish stuff Okay, that... It it doesn't feel as universal because it doesn't have as strong uh like a log line. Um, mm-hmm. Before we get into it, Andrew, I did want to tell you about another Gulliver's Travels adaptation. Ooh, okay. Um, I'm just gonna take. I'm just gonna send you an image real quick that I want you to to uh, describe for everyone. Okay. So this appears to be our boy Jack Black. Yeah. In a 3D movie called Gulliver's Travels. Yes. What does and it say the, at the top of the poster? And it says, Black is the new big. <laughs> Which I I know they mean Jack Black. But to do that and then to have this like, kind of like a big white guy on the yeah. cover of your movie poster dressed, is kind of a weird move. Dressed as a 2010 slacker Jack Black tied down on a beach. Yeah, no, he's dressed like he he is headed to a Tenacious D gig. It uh, this appears to only really riff on the first two parts. He, he he's like a you know down on his luck guy who goes to the Bermuda Triangle, and his winds name's up. Lemuel Gulliver. Is that the his name's his name is Lemuel Gulliver? Yeah, um, okay. and he's dating Amanda Pete. Good for him. Um, <laughs> but uh, it doesn't really address parts three or four. But Andrew, it is directed. Mm-hmm. By our boy, Rob Letterman, director of the hit film Goosebumps 2015 and Pokemon Detective Pikachu 2019. Oh, man. We got to watch this movie now, huh? We might need to watch this movie. We need to watch the Jack Black Oliver Travels movie. (laughs) The Rob Letterman verse. All right. I'm like we have in 2022, I think, was the year that we both became big Jack Black stands for no reason. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not for no reason. It's because he has a, bo- a body of impressive work that sneaks up on you. Well, and you and I are going like, to we're going to watch the yeah. Super the Super Mario Brothers movie in a few weeks. I'm very excited yeah, to see his yeah. work. And yeah. by all accounts, he's the he's the best Star- part. Yeah. One of the best parts yeah, of true. that. Um, so, anyway. but And also, we I think we're going to have to watch all of we're just blank check style. Watch all of. <laughs> Rob Letterman's work also. <laughs> I think we will. Oh, no. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what if everyone were small? Part one of Gulliver's Travels. Um, <laughs> okay. Gulliver washes up on an island 
Um, and then he passes out. He wakes up. He's tied to the ground. All the people are no. Stop me whenever you want to ask a question. Okay. Um, all the I'm people so are like no taller than six inches. Okay. Um, roughly everything is on a one twelfth scale, including the trees, the animals, everything on the island, the whole okay, world. So it looks like it looks like a Thomas the Tank Engine. Yeah. Set. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good. This and, I'm just putting it in terms that I understand. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, so he's now the, like they kind of roll up on him. They can't communicate. They speak a different language. There's people climbing on top of him. They shoot him with a bunch of tiny arrows that he can, you know, swat away. But obviously it is uncomfortable. Um, And he kind of communicates to them that he's not going to try to hurt them. Um, He does need to eat and drink, which they do Mm -hmm. give him, you know, some things. I feel like those two things are going to run into each other pretty fast. Well, before he even gets untied, he does have to pee. And so they like loosen his restraints so he can roll over and pee. uh, Uh Not in front of them. Right. Uh Uh Um, He does start talking with their like emperor. This is the emperor of Lilliputia. Mm-hmm. Um, or of Lilliput, I guess, and uh, you know, starts to. He is very adept at languages. That is a thing that runs throughout the book, and the book wouldn't work without it. Um, take that. You know, it's just a conceit that the book needs. Um, so he starts conversing with these people. He kind of he thinks they're like something that we get the flip side of in the next chapter. He he thinks they're like pretty fair, like pretty like kind of. Not he's not like ooh these people are good looking, but he's just like wow they're just you know from his vantage point there's nothing um, bad about any of their appearances because the scale is so small like he's just getting like mm-hmm. a it's mm-hmm. like a very high resolution but small image you uh-huh. know where in the next chapter where everybody's very very big he's like ew I can see the lice on their skin oh like, it's just like every pore would be yeah. horrifying yeah. yes okay yes. exactly. Um, it's like when I, you got that mirror that like it's a normal mirror on the one side and you flip it over and it's a close mirror and it's like, no, oh, no. thanks. Oh, There's no, a- I hope this I hope that nobody ever gets this close to me. <laughs> There's a lot of ew bodies in this book. Um, and Demary, the editor, makes some arguments that it is part of the satire is swift, um, you know, coming at people who, you know, are too prideful or vain about hum- like human physical existence like he's kind of making an argument that we should maybe be more spiritual or not be as like satisfied with our you know just who we are kind of thing so like a lot of the there's we're gonna get into some grosser stuff in Lilliput that I did not know was in this book but a lot of the (laughs) the gross stuff I think is there to render man a, a a baser beast than man thinks himself right okay i think that's sure. part of the satire um right, mr vocab words over here yeah. um so they they he needs to get up and walk around and he's become their friend and that so they let him be in this big unused temple which i i read was supposed to be a reference to westminster abbey apparently <laughs> um and they give like he's tied up, but he can walk around and stuff in there. And he does need to take a crap, so Jeez, he does I like so much of this does, is about bathroom stuff so far. Does crap in this big fake Westminster Abbey a bunch until they Jeez. let him out to go poop outside. Um, and you know, meanwhile they're feeding him like you know twelve times as much as anybody would ever eat. All uh-huh. that kind of stuff. 
And they set up some laws around him being free, where he is allowed to not be chained. He does probably need to live in the temple, um, his poop temple. Um, and he can like come visit the the city, but they need you know they need to have warnings so that everybody can get inside and be safe. Um, and he is supposed to be a loyal servant of the emperor because uh, at this point he doesn't have a real design on getting off the island. And this is a recurring theme: is like he he lands in these places. And he's not immediately like, tell me where a boat is. I need to go. Yeah, Gulliver just wants to chill. He, 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 wants, wants, he, just, wants, he just wants to eat and poop everywhere and, <laughs> and meet some people. Yeah. Um, and usually, like, he's not in control of the situation either. So, like, he can't even just, like, demand a boat to leave. No, in um, this one, I don't understand how he's not in control of the situation because he is 12 times bigger than anybody else. I guess, but, it's like two, okay. two things are that, like, they are... There are sufficient numbers of them that he is dependent on them a, a bit for food and like okay. and and you know water and and things like that and he can't uh-huh. just leave. He could try to just, you know, Godzilla their town, I suppose. Yeah. But like the whole island is at such a like minute scale that I don't know that he could like then start farming it or whatever. Um and also, he's not, you know, a, he's not a brute. So I, I think he is. Once he realizes that they are, in fact, like people, he's not like here to to kill them. Um, okay. But they do kind of, they do kind of like, okay, Mister Man Mountain, you are our Man Mountain. Like that's the deal. Um, so he he learns about their society a little bit. They have one of the, I think, one of the ministers in court tells gives him kind of the skinny on the fact that there are some intra national intranational conflicts uh, yeah, yeah. Um, that are like it, I think they're supposed to be Whig Tory allegories there are high heels and low people who wear their heels high and people who wear their heels low um, okay, of course to, to kind of signify what party they're in mm-hmm. and then there's also the warring state of what is it called um, I, I always mess it up and I don't want to get it wrong Blefuscu, B-L-E-F-U-S-C-U. It's another, it's the only other kingdom these people ever heard about. It's across the water. It's like England and France. They're in perpetual, they've been at war for a long time. And this is the source of their war, Andrew. Um, They, there was an emperor a while ago who's, everybody according to like religious doctrine is supposed to crack open their eggs in the quote convenient way. All right. Can, all right. Does it describe what the convenient way is? You're supposed to use the originally you used the larger. It, it doesn't describe like specifically in the text. It does not like in the religious text. It does not describe. Okay. Um, so this way. is just the the satire of like yeah. here's here's what a stupid thing people yep. will go to war about. Okay. Cool. Uh, and and specifically Henry the Eighth kind of stuff because. The uh, the king's the emperor's son. This is generations ago. Uh, hurt himself opening an egg at the big end, and so the emperor was like, "Heretofore, we shall all open our eggs at the little end." And there was a big religious schism, and purportedly the warring nation across the water has been fomenting, you know, these 
these other opinions and these people, you know, these big enders, as they're called. And so then big enders are going into exile in Blefuscu, uh, and it's become a full out, you know, war. So I can't tell if it's if it's a bummer or if it's reassuring that fail sons have basically always existed. <laughs> Like for as long as we've had monarchies and other other sort of dynastic forms of government, we've had we've had fail sons yes. there to to hurt themselves cracking an egg uh-huh. or whatever, and to cause mm-hmm. a religious war. You know, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of the skinny on on this kingdom, and they want to use him in their war, and he's like, "Well, I did, you know, sign up to be a loyal servant of the emperor." They they basically command him as their kaiju to go across the water. And steal the opposing nation's fleet, which he does. He just walks over there and like attaches a rope and just pulls them back, and they can't oh do boy. anything about it. All right. Uh, and then the government's like, "Hey, could you like just help us like kill them and you know colonize them?" And he's like, "I won't do that. I will do anything for love, but I won't do that." <laughs> um, and so he's kind of starting to fall out of favor with the royal court. And then there's a fire in the Queen's Tower. Now, I think the Queen's Tower is like seven or eight feet tall. It's pretty big, but like, you know, he, you know, it's, I don't even know if it's that big, actually, because, Andrew, how mm-hmm. do you think he puts out the fire? He's a big guy. He walks oh, over man. there. man. He probably pees he on pees it. He pees on it. He oh, pees man. on her tower. Gulliver. <laughs> Why are you being so gross, Gulliver? It's the only thing he could think to do, because um, all the all the like he couldn't pull up a little of the one twelfth Thomas the Tank Engine buckets. Like he had a lot of water inside him. It was no, the easiest I get way to it. Do it. He's the easiest way to. I mean, to go over to the ocean and like suck a big mouthful of water up and just spit it. No, Gulliver, nope. you got one. You got one tool in your toolkit. <laughs> and you just, just got poop and pee all over I the just, entire island. I'm like reading this book. Being like, this is like a seminal work of English, you know, prose. And it's just about this nasty boy. <laughs> it's about this nasty boy <laughs> just <laughs> pooping and peeing on these little people's kingdom. <laughs> it's so funny to me. And I know that's the point. Like, I know it, yeah. it is both funny that that is what it is. And oh, I know that I Swift know. is like, I'm here to make this guy poop and pee. <laughs> I'm here. He's going to poop and pee everywhere, and you can't do anything about it. And so one of the ministers is like, hey, uh, everybody's having a real hard time with the emperor keeping you around because you won't do everything he says. And you and won't stop pooping and peeing the, everywhere. The queen hates you now because you peed on her. Uh-huh. And so we do need oh, this is you like to the, leave. This is, the queen, this is the Queen Anne thing, I guess. It is. Yeah, I think. Um, mm. So you do need to leave. And he does. He, at this point, he has like had some contact with the people in the neighboring kingdom. And that's another reason why they brand him a traitor. Uh, so he does. He is kind of like, you know, spirited away, you know, safely to Blefuscu. And they help him find another like shipwrecked boat that he repairs. And then he leaves. And he takes some... Lilliputian animals with him as like uh-huh. to you know and then he sells them back in England I think <laughs> um, and so the more the, the thing to take away from this one of the many things um, it is it is the most warlike of any of the chapters it's the only one that has like there's there's a little bit of um you know a king trying to subjugate a town in, in part three but sure. this is the only one that has people like going to war with one another 
and they are just the tiniest little most uh everything is very trivial like the things that are causing their conflicts are very trivial the way that you become qualified for politics is not actually by being a really good politician or statesman it's like you've proven yourself in these inane dances and things um interesting that, hmm, that's so, interesting interesting so it's interesting these, satire yeah you know um so they everybody's very small both literally and figuratively in this town and so gulliver is like well you know i'm i'm better than them but you know they're real people i probably shouldn't have peed on them whatever and he goes home and he's like hi <laughs> hi honey you know like gonna hang out with the kids for a year maybe hey then... do you just want to like can i just impregnate you real quick and then <laughs> yep, take off i gotta leave yeah. uh and he gets you know he gets a job on another boat and he goes out on another ship and he lands on the island of Bromdignag. Which is huge. Everything is approximately. This is. I don't think this is stated as explicitly, but everything is almost like one. You know, twelve times bigger than him. Like the mm-hmm. general Bromdignagians. I don't remember if that's the real term. Um, they are, you know, sixty to seventy feet tall. Okay. Um, they're all very, very big. And uh, one farmer finds him. And is like, you're weird and tiny. Come, I'm going to pick you up and take you with me. You look like me, but that's strange. Mm-hmm. And then his daughter, um, whose name is Glumdelaklitch. Uh, Good Lord. All right. The, there's all of the names, and I'm not going to name all of them. There's a lot of names in here that are like, there, it's not just putting a word in a word jumble, like putting a, a you know a name of a place in a word jumble and then you know just scrambling the letters. He's like scrambling phonetic sounds and things, but a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of the place names are referencing real places, of course, because what it's satire. You got to know what you're talking about. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the farmer basically treats him like Michigan J Frog and is like going around to everybody. <laughs> is like, look at this tiny man that can talk. Uh, you know, he learns their language. He lets his daughter play with him a bunch, and she's the one who really cares for him. They don't see him as a person, and what he comes to learn is that the farmer is actually kind of the outlier in the society in terms of how he behaves. Like, so the farmer wears him out by making him perform all the time. He's like getting ill <laughs> from like overwork of yeah. you know Michigan J frogging for everyone, <laughs> and so that he takes him to the royal court. And sells him to the queen, and then it's like not very much because he's like, well, this little guy is dying, so I'm just gonna sell him <laughs> to the queen and make a quick buck. And the queen's mm-hmm. like that, uh, like Gulliver tells her what was going on, and the queen's like, that's horrible, like that, no thanks, like we're a better society than that. And so the whole thing that I can figure out about Brobdingnang, which is a, I found a little less compelling than Lilliput, um, is that they are they are a moral somewhat of a moral utopia um they don't have any other enemies they they do have a standing army but they don't even have like guns um they have very clear simple laws uh where like you know murder they do have the death penalty not i'm not a fan of that um but they appear to be like moral giants um, was a Good phrase word. I found a lot in reading about this chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, Where you just you weren't into this chapter as much because it didn't have as much of the cool poop poop humor. It had a well, it had chapter. It had its own version where, like, so once he's with the queen, 
the farmer's like, yeah, you can have my daughter as well because she is the one who cares for the little man, the little toy man. So like, why don't you just uh-huh. keep my daughter also? And so they made they make him a little dollhouse box that he can live in, and she carries around with her. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of high, there's a lot of Honey I Shrunk the Kid hijinks that happen. <laughs> um, you know, he fights a big wasp. He falls in the cream, um, getting goop on him. <laughs> uh huh. Um, there is a there is a section where like. It's meant to show how little of a person, <laughs> how small of like how, how small a man or how little a person. I meant I, I meant to say they think so little of him uh, that he's like not. They do not ascribe him personhood in the same way because like the women will like you know bathe in front of him without a care and like uh-huh. kind of mock that he's even there in the first place kind of mm-hmm. thing. And meanwhile, it sounds it sounds terrible. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> meanwhile, he's like, "Oh my god, I can see the mites on their skin. Every you know pore is full of dirt." Like that these, does actually sound terrible. This you know, sounds he, like the worst. He thing does. <laughs> he does see a boob and is like, "This is disgusting. It's too big." <laughs> uh, and the the chapter closes. He has an audience with the king, and they have a long conversation about Europe and like what it's like back there and Gulliver keeps trying to be like yeah you know this is kind of how things operate and the king's like so kind of charlatans can hold political office and you fight over like stupid things and he's like yeah I mean you know it's, <laughs> it's but we've but we've you know we run a whole society over there he's like you know you guys don't seem to have guns do you want me to teach you about guns and he's like he literally says I cannot but conclude the bulk of your natives to be the most pernicious race of little odious vermin that nature ever suffered to crawl upon the surface of the earth Wow, that's uh, harsh. Harsh words is what those is. So it's. I think it's best to take these. You know, a lot of people do uh, take these two parts like kind of as a as a diptych, um, mm-hmm. where you know you're a, place, you're, you're a diptych, <laughs> <laughs> a place where Gulliver comes away feeling superior, even though you know he wasn't in charge, to a place where he has no power whatsoever and tries to defend where he came from and is is rebuffed. Um, ultimately, an eagle picks up his little house box and drops him in the ocean. Uh, I did think it was funny when he gets saved, uh, a boat finds him, and he's like, okay, so just take a tiny string and put it through the handle on my box and then pull me up. And all the people are like, what are you talking about? Because <laughs> they're normal-sized people to him. They yes. don't, mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't know that they're not giants. Um, and his voice is hoarse from shouting all the time to all the big people. Yes. Uh, but he goes home, you know, maybe has a kid, you know, whatever. Maybe, you know, like you do when you go home. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in the third part. Yeah, because I do want to get to Gotta get to the horse before we run out of time. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll just say, so there's like a, I knew nothing about this part coming in. This part feels like science fiction. It's, I can, t- I can see why nobody really talks about this part because it's very strange. Uh-huh. Um, quick hits. There's a big floating island that seems to run on a version of magnetism, which makes it go up and down. And the king and the royal family live up there and never come down because people would kill them because they use the island as like a threat and they will literally threaten to crush a town if it re- okay. revolts against them. And there's uh-huh. one town that covered their entire town with big tall towers so that you couldn't <laughs> you couldn't do it. 
<laughs> uh, you couldn't come and squash them or else you'd break your big island, um, which okay. is pretty cool. Uh-huh. Uh, that's apparently, there's apparently stuff there that is like an allegory to uh, Ireland, I- tensions between Ireland and, and the UK or yeah. Great Britain. Um, there's a there's a island full of what are called projectors. They're like mad scientist inventor types. It is a parody of the Royal Society of like Knowledge in London or something. And there are all these dudes just doing whack experiments, like Willy Wonka style, like trying to pull sunbeams out of cucumbers. You know, <laughs> it's it's weird. It's very strange. He's like critiquing the notion that science will find an answer for everything. Sure. Um, and he takes a quick jaunt to an island where there are magicians who can summon ghosts. Um, and he uses that time to talk to a bunch of old like Renaissance, not Renaissance guys, like Greek and Roman guys who are all super smart. And he's like, oh, cool, philosophers. And then he summons like people from the last hundred years. And I'm like, no, these guys suck. <laughs> all these guys are bad. The history, All the history writers who make them out to be good are liars. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an island with immortal people. Uh, and he's like, that sounds cool, immortal people. And no, they, they keep aging. And so then they become legally dead at 80 because no one wants to deal with them anymore. And they hate everyone and their minds are infirm and their bodies are falling apart. Uh, so that place doesn't sound great. Yeah, nothing to nothing to say about that. Nope. That I and then he, he just kind of hangs out in Japan real quick, and then he leaves. And he goes home. Mm-hmm. Japan treated like a real place, definitely for real. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so then the fourth part, the Winums. The Win the Winums. He goes out again. He is he suffers a mutiny, and. Because uh, he was like he lost some people and then he got people out of out of port and those guys weren't really above board, and he sees these other creatures first on the island that look like people, but at his first estimation are not people. They're too bestial and animalistic, and he doesn't. Ooh. He finds them very disgusting. Okay, and he sees a beautiful horse come down the road, <laughs> and the, <Okay. laughs> the horse. Kind of starts talking to him. It has its own language, but he knows that it is clearly talking to him. Mm-hmm. And the horse is like, "Come with me, you know. Come on, ooh, like let's go." Yeah, that's, that's a, a and, good approximation of a horse noise. And he doesn't want to be like he doesn't want to be <laughs> near whatever that awful human-like thing was. Like it's got it's covered in dirt. It's clawing in the ground. It's running around on its all fours. Like he finds it disgusting. Okay. Um, so he follows the horse and he learns that these horses have a fully functioning society. They make houses that are like, you know, they don't have like proper doors with knobs on them or whatever, but they have houses. Um, they don't have writing, but they do have tools that they can use okay. like in their hooves sort in the like, guess in the spot of their foot like kind of between the 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 hoof and like the back of their foot it's it's described in detail that i don't really understand um okay and the horses are these kind of like they call themselves the winnums uh the etymology <laughs> of which means that's some, an excellent name <laughs> something like the it means perfection in nature basically mm-hmm. um and they are these kind of like philosopher kings that are that view themselves as entirely rational creatures um and that that sort of have a view that like things in nature nature like it happens for a reason like kind of like the world exists be as the way it's supposed to exist um the only thing that they don't 
like because they love all of each other. They're you know there's all the horses are cool. Uh-huh. Um, now there there is a little bit of I wouldn't <laughs> go so far as to say horse racism, but some of the horses are better than others. I, the, horse racism sounds like an awesome wordplay that is almost that's really really oh. close. Like, <laughs> Like if you about were really, that. If you're oh boy! Really into covering, like the like the horse race, but not not like that, you know. Oh man, that's <laughs> so funny. Oh, that's so funny. Think. Okay, thanks. Um, <laughs> but the so different like uh, breeds of horse, as we might understand them, based on their like you know coat coloring and whatever. Like that, some of them are you know, more adept at certain things than others. So like, you know, you read this chapter, you take that for what it is, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, they also hate these human-like creatures that they call the Yahoos. And Yahoo. they're confused because Gulliver looks like a Yahoo, Yahoo. but Gulliver walks on two feet mm-hmm. and he wears clothes. And so they're kind of confused by his clothes because they think it's part of his body. Uh, to the point where there's he stays with them for a while and then like one day one of the horse comes in to like i guess tell him that breakfast is ready or something and uh-huh. like sees part of his clothes on the ground and they're like what is wrong with you what happened um so that that jig was up uh and so over the course of like i think two years or something he's basically a servant to this like lead horse and he learns about their society where these yahoos are here. They're basically treated like worse than, you know, cattle because they're also monsters that, you know, will steal your donkeys or whatever um, <laughs> sure. and d- dig up your crops. Uh-huh. Um, and they're, you know, this one horse is being nice to him. He's like, well, you, you look like a yahoo, but you did learn our language and you do claim to come from somewhere else. And so, like, let's have some conversations. And over the course of several years, like, he describes England and Europe to him. And there's just parts where he is like describing like he's just like describing money to a horse or, (laughs) you know, he talks about why men go to war. For instance, whether flesh be bread or bread be flesh, whether the juice of a certain berry be blood or wine, whether whistling be a vice or a virtue. And it's like, he, did he tell his horse about Jesus? Like, <laughs> could, how does that work? And the mm-hmm. whole time, you know, he is describing humanity to this horse and finding it incredibly wanting. Like, he is mm-hmm. like, actually, I don't love what I'm describing. You horses seem to know what's up. The horses don't have lying, Andrew. Just, no, okay. they Because what would a horse have to lie about? Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. They only, mm-hmm. they like, they speak. They're very honest animals. They speak kind of simply, but not, you know, in, in a direct way. It's sort, it reminds me a little bit in, but a positive version of, you know, how in The Giver, like, you can only use the one, like, all words only have, like, one meaning or whatever. Like, there's a directness to how the horses talk and think. Uh-huh. Um, that is part of their kind of moral purity that mm-hmm. he finds very, um, you know, enticing and better than humanity. And the mm-hmm. horses are like, yeah, you're cool. You, but you are in fact a Yahoo. Like we do know this. And it does seem like you got like a little touch of reason, like capital R reason 
But it's almost worse that you got it because now you've told us that you do war and like money with it, and we hate that, and it's bad. <laughs> You're like perverting this gift that we have. Um, it's kind of awful. And so uh, he spends a little time, like he's there's one time he's bathing in a river, and a Yahoo lady comes up and tries to sleep with him, and he like you know because they're like just horny animals, and he's like, oh no, I am like. <laughs> <laughs> tried to breed with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the horses have a... Oh, you know, he tells them about how the horses back home are in servitude and how uh, men will castrate the horses to do population control and change their behavior. And, you know, that's that doesn't go over very well. Uh-huh. And so the horses have, like, a big horse conference. And they're like, hey, we can't let you live here anymore unless you're going to go be with the Yahoos. And then we thought about that a little bit more. And we can't let you go be with the Yahoos because... Uh, you'll like teach them stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> you are, we, and we don't really want to kill you. So you do need to leave, please. And he's like, actually killing Look me would be better. It. I never want to mm. leave your horse utopia, your horse paradise. Yeah. Um, and they do say they're like, but that castration thing did sound kind of interesting. We're gonna give it some thought with these yahoos. See you later. Bye. <laughs> uh, so then the last part of the book is him like traveling back against his will like he gets picked up on an island that he thought he was just going to spend all of his days uh at this point he sort of walks like a horse and his even what though can, on earth could that possibly mean what are you talking about <laughs> hold on i'll see if i can find it okay. what <laughs> let me see if i can find it um okay okay uh when i oh this is also okay this is a good this is a good passage <laughs> Um, When I thought of my family, my friends, my countrymen, or human race in general, I considered them as they really were, yahoos in shape and disposition, only a little more civilized and qualified with the gift of speech, but making no other use of reason uh, than to improve and multiply those vices, whereof their brethren in this country had only the share that nature allotted them. I happened to behold the the reflection of my own form in a lake or a fountain. I turned away my face in horror and detestation of myself and could better endure the sight of a common yahoo than of my own person. Uh, By conversing with the Winhams and looking upon them with delight, I fell to imitate their gait and gesture, which has now grown into a habit. And my friends often tell me in a blunt way that I trot like a horse, which, however, (laughs) I take for a great compliment Neither shall I disown that in speaking I am apt to fall into the voice and manner of the Winhams and hear myself ridiculed on that account with the least mortification. Jeez. It doesn't quite describe... I guess he kind of bounces as he walks, maybe. Mm-hmm. It's like some Spanish... Don, I think his name is Don Pedro. Some Spanish guy picks him up in a boat later and like everybody's really confused because he has like a horse accent. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, through the kind, through the kindness of some, of some humans, some yahoos, he makes his way back to England, kind of hating, they, he tries to escape the boat several times because he just doesn't want to be with people anymore. He finds them so disgusting. Sure. Um, and how, how could you not want to go back to the beautiful horse? horse He just wants to, like, at this point he knows he'll never go back. He just wants to be on an island alone rather than be with people. Mm-hmm. Um, I all that also is very sympathetic to me. I know, very <laughs> like Doctor Manhattan. Uh-huh. Like I'm out of here. Um, and the I think the captain of the boat is like, listen, I'm taking you back to England, and you can like 
just shut yourself up in your house for the rest of your life if you want. Like, but I can't just like leave you here. I'm like, a, you know, I can't let you die kind of thing. Um, and it ends with him like in his home talking about how it took him years to let his wife sit next to him at the <laughs> at the dinner table because she's a filthy Yahoo and he can't yeah. stand it. Nobody impregnating anybody on this on this stay over. Nope. And he does he does buy himself some horses and he talks to them sometimes unclear if they speak Wynnum or not, but he is very comfortable with them. Okay. So that's um Gulliver's Travels. That's that's a wild book, my dude. Yeah. I don't know. Is there anything <laughs> is there any other like allegory stuff that you found that we can do quickly? In terms of like what some of this stuff is about, I you know the Whig Tory stuff, England France stuff, and Lilliput. I couldn't find I mean, too much in the Brogdignang, though. I think there are some like historical people that it might be based on. Yeah, I mean, we talked about a lot of the like Europe stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, the the one like big theme of the book that that came up when I was reading about it that I don't know if we've talked about is uh, whether people are bad or like inherently or if they are if they are made or if they're made that way by circumstance like some very Hobbes and Locke stuff yeah yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. is there any that you want to talk about that I think that is a (sighs) the people just peeing every I can't I'm still thinking about that (laughs) I I think the fact that it ends with um this image of this good Spanish captain taking care of him and him kind of resolving to tell this story so that uh, more people can find out about the Winhams. I don't know. I, I think there's like a, hmm, I don't know if I know which way the book goes. I think Swift does not agree with Hobbes. I, I mm-hmm. I don't think because I think that might jive a little bit more with the Robinson Crusoe thing. I think he's a lock guy, but I don't quite know how that maps here. Um, so maybe if some listeners are, you know, some of our more academic listeners are able yeah, some to, of our, to our fill our us in on, and, yeah. on that. But yeah, cause I think there's, you know, if you carry it as satire to the end, it's like there's a dude who's going to like spread the gospel of the horses to like convince us that we're that we could be better and like that seems very silly Mm -hmm. um yeah i don't know it's it the the yahoos thing is like very absurd how detestable uh gulliver finds them it's really Mm -hmm. over the top Mm -hmm. and so maybe that is kind of a like a critique of if we are just these base vile creatures at our heart like this is what it would look like to to live to like think that way and and encounter that we we would find ourselves emulating horses um but at the same time there's a lot of man is gross stuff particularly in the first half of the book that feels like well let's not think too highly of ourselves yeah because i mean man does sound pretty gross i gotta say he is pretty gross um yeah so yeah, it's it's a fun read. I found the third <laughs> again, I found the third part kind of going over my head a little bit. I think it didn't have as compelling a core relationship. That is something I've not really talked about much is that like particularly in the first two parts and then in the fourth part, 
he winds up having a an extensive not every conversation is with these people but like there's one or two representatives of these of each land that he kind of forms some sort of bond with or talks to a lot mm-hmm. and the third one has a little bit more of a like and then I wandered through some places and somebody showed me around and here's what I saw which just gives it a it doesn't give it as much weight there's something to the emotional heft of how invested he is in the horse relationship in particular that like makes that chapter work Mm -hmm. Um, where you're like, yeah, I guess I could see why this guy would be invested in being a horse forever. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And something I was not prepared to on this read kind of unpack is the extent to which like Gulliver, like, himself as a as a narrator is satirical of these of these types of like travelogue characters mm-hmm. um his own views that we might we, we might conflate swift and gulliver in ways that are not useful or or not what's you know swift wants us to disagree with him or poke fun at him or whatever and that might be part of the point and i, I don't i'm not equipped to talk about that my first time through the book but i think some mm-hmm. of that is there as well okay I think we, what we what we did learn here today, Andrew, is that you and I need to watch the 2010 film um, Gulliver's Travels, so we can really yeah, get to the, we do. Get to the it does sound it does sound kind of up our alley. It really unfortunately, does. I don't know. That says more about our alley than it does about anything, probably. But <laughs> it's yeah. just it's a real rollicking uh, late aughts cast list too. I'm just you know mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, I mean, you don't gotta convince me. I'm on board already. Okay, great. <laughs> I'm, I'm here. <laughs> All right. Well, that's Gulliver's Travels. Thanks for uh, taking this journey with me, Andrew. Yeah. Thanks for taking me on your travels and just yep. like peeing everywhere. Yeah, truly. I had just to relieve myself. Every everywhere. There was everywhere. an element when I first when when he first <laughs> peed, I was like, this is a guy who would be annoyed at watching Twenty Four and Jack Bauer never peed. Like this, he's answering the question. Jonathan when, Swift really wants to know where Gulliver's peeing all the time. Like he's like he's into the like. Well, if we're gonna de- if we're gonna talk about it, let's talk about travel. Um, but then it's it's clearly sillier than that. So yeah, um, yeah, clearly. If you know things about Gulliver's travel that we didn't talk about, send us an email over to pod at gmail.com. If you're from the islands of Lilliput or Brogdagdag or whatever, if you're a horse listening, good for you. Send us an email over to pod at gmail.com. Type with your hooves. Um, hit us up <laughs> on social media at Overdue Pod. Finch, Roe, Juliana, Melanie, Morgana, Tom, Dewey, Alice, Andrew, many more reached out to us this week on social media. Thanks for doing that. It is a social media after all. Our theme song is composed by Nick Larangis. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? Overduepodcast.com. Beep, is our internet website. Up there we have the books that we have read and the ones that we are going to read. We have our June schedule up. Go look at it. Look at all the books we're going to read in June. And read along or, or don't or do whatever you want. Patreon.com slash OverduePod is our Patreon project. Support the show. Get access to our Discord server. Um, get access to bonus episodes early, sit in on bonus episode recordings. We have a few different tiers for people who want to financially support us to do so at. Yeah. I'll <laughs> highlight the hangout with trapped us. trapped for- on a grammatical <laughs> island that I sailed to, and I just didn't know how to do, what to do about it. I will highlight uh, our June bonus episode recording. Um, folks can go to patreon.com slash pod to find out more about that. We're going to be talking about uh Garfield Fat Cat 3 pack number 1 
by yes. Jim Davis. Yeah, I think we've already set the recording date for that. Um, we have. Yeah. And no, I mean, I was I wasn't asking a question. I was oh. saying we have. Yeah. So join us uh, on Patreon uh, at that tier, and you will get a message about that, and you can join. And us we're going we're going to talk about the Garfield deep lore. Gang. Well, Nothing's, nothing's off limits. I've already been told what I'm not allowed to research because I'm supposed to find out while we're recording. So that's yeah. always a good sign. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. Andrew, uh, what are you reading next week? Summer Water by Sarah Moss. Great. I look forward it's to got, it. It's got summer. It's got water. It's got it all. Delicious. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And until we talk to you next week, please try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.